Oh, so I hear you're doing a podcast tonight. What? But we're professional at winging it. You know, not everybody can do that. Jonathan lives in uh, Scotland. Oh, we know he's not from here. It's cold up there. It's cold down here. It's minus 15. Have you moved to Lapland or something? Fantastic. Oh, we actually have like proper professional research in the show notes. That's like impressive. Well, nothing, nothing fun, really. That wasn't on me. That was all Alex. <laughs> Can you hear me? Hello, Kevin. Yes, but I've met Jonathan. Yeah, twice. I think. And you still agree to come on the podcast. That's good for you. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. And don't worry, you're on the right podcast. It is in the troublesome terms. And indeed, I'm not Alex, Jonathan, or the other Alex. My name is Camille. And today we're going to talk about differences between male and female interpreters. So... It seems appropriate that I would be the one uh, introducing the show because all the other hosts are male, at least that's what we think. And to start with, we have Alexander Drexel providing the guiding hand and the sound of common sense to the podcast, Alexander Drexel. Yeah, thanks for the kind introduction, Camille, and welcome, everyone. It's nice that we get the chance to talk again. We just met very recently in Geneva for the CUD conference, where you got the chance to present your poster. So we'll talk about your research later on. And uh, also with me uh, providing the German efficiency and witty aphorism, we have Alexander Gensmeyer. Hello. Hi, guys. And thank you very much, Camille, for doing the introduction. I really think this podcast needed a woman's touch. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so, lastly, we have some Scottish guy who we let in to provide a parade of puns and some researchy meanderings. Jonathan Doney, welcome. Hi, Camille. It's great to be back. And this is, I just realized this is the first troublesome terps of 2017. Happy New Year. <laughs> and we're tackling, I think, one of the biggest, most troublesome questions in interpreting, I think. I wonder, what what would that be? That, 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 we, that we don't let many men into conference interpreting. I don't know why. <laughs> we don't let... No, I think we let them in. Maybe, I mean, that's a, that's a difficult question. So. It's, it's a good starting point, actually, because, I mean, the... The, there have been a lot of researches on how men are welcomed in female fields and how actually very welcomed they are. And it's kind of the opposite when we have women coming into men fields in a way. So that women are really are willing to actually have men in their fields. But don't, don't you feel welcome, Jonathan? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would... Oh, great! Put me on the spot already. No, I, I, I was, I was actually joking, and I think one of the, the interesting things that I've found is that conference interpreting is, by just about any definition, a female-dominated field. A lot of our, um, senior leaders are female as well, which I think is, is great to see. 
And the interesting thing is, as a man in a female-dominated field, I feel completely comfortable. And, you know, I, I crack jokes about clients thinking that I'm the sound man because I'm the only guy uh, at the back of the room, so I must be the sound engineer. But I, I think that that's the only slight discomfort I've ever had being an interpreter is, is when I, you get the very odd client looking at you and going, you're not female, <laughs> and you're in the booth. Are you cleaning it? You know, it's, it's, kind of, it's, it's kind of that... What is going on here? Um, but I think that that is a good point to start is that we don't know why. Um, I think we're something like 70 30 female to male in conference interpreting. And no one, I've, I'm not aware of any clients complaining. I'm not aware of any men saying, I don't feel welcomed. But that's just how it is. And I think that that's an interesting point itself in interpreting. And perhaps, um, I just want to make a suggestion that perhaps that's the reason why we have certain issues in interpreting with things like pay and conditions and status, especially in certain fields, that perhaps um, people find it easier to take advantage of a female-dominated field than a male one, but I could be completely wrong. Yeah, I think there's a lot of stuff in there that we need to unpack. I mean, first of all, the the pure statistics, and I don't know, Camille, if you have come across Across any statistics in this domain. What I've read is I think from the AIC data where they have a ratio of about three to one, roughly. So Jonathan, you said 70-30, this is three to one. So it's kind of um, in this ballpark, but I mean, clearly a, a female dominated profession, which we're just stating as a fact, just to say that. I can actually even top those figures for the, the, the German Association of Conference Interpreters. We're roughly, we're going on 700 members and over 500 of them are women. <laughs> wow. So that, that ratio <laughs> is even a bit higher than what you were mentioning. But yeah, absolutely female dominated. I would go along with that. Camille, did you come across any statistics when you sort of prepared or got ready for your for your work? Yeah, but they're, they're the same, like about three to one, as you said, as you mentioned, exactly the same, yeah. And apparently no no big changes in the last decades or anything, like it has been pretty constant. Hmm. And is does it match, I mean, question for all of you, does it match your experience in school already when you were learning foreign languages and at university when you were studying conference interpreting? Because for me, it does, absolutely. And my experience... Mm, yes, but there, there, I feel like there were more, much more women in my class. But then when I look at who is actually working, then there, there are more men. Not that there are more men than women, but I feel like that men actually succeed more. They're more successful than the one that are actually working. Like because I mean, being graduated and then actually working, there's a huge difference. Yeah, there is. And I also, I, I would completely go along with that, but also at the same time, I think that more men who work in interpreting don't have uh, an academic background in interpreting. So they might have been an engineer at some point, and then eventually they kind of migrate into interpreting, whereas true, yeah. most most women actually underwent the, the, the proper education. So they went to university, trained to be an interpreter, and then that's what they do. Whereas more men than women, I find, um, kind of transition from a different field. I think that's what Ra Rachel said in the in, in her article as well. Which is funny because for me it wasn't that way at all. It was kind of just you know that's what I wanted to do. So I don't really know. She she, she had a lot of interesting ideas in the article though. So I think we're going to pick up on a couple of them 
throughout this podcast. I think the the interesting thing is I can actually name. I've been working as an interpreter on and off for six, seven years now, and I can personally name the only two jobs in my entire career where there have been other men at uh, interpreting on the job. Um, that's how huge the the imbalance is as in the markets that I'm used to working in. Oh, sorry, I think three jobs in the, in the entirety of those years. Um, in my masters, I think there were, in if you just count European languages, I think there were three men in the entire year across all languages. Um, I'm the only one of those three now working as an interpreter, as far as I'm aware. Um, there may be one other, but that's it. Um, so it's... I'm, I wasn't aware of that imbalance studying languages at secondary school, but I very much was at master's. But the bigger imbalance that I was aware of at master's was the lack of British people studying in my degree. I know that's a whole other thing, but... Um, that's a different podcast. <laughs> it, it, it's, a, it's a different podcast, but I wonder if actually <laughs> um, there's something about the kind of people who are attracted to interpreting. Um, and I wonder... Hmm. I've had this thought in my head and I've not seen anyone suggest it clearly in the articles that I wonder if interpreting has a certain image which people don't necessarily associate with men. That's possible. Do you, are you talking about the whole communication side? Um, kind of. Um, so is this the thing where people think that women are better at communicating? Well, I, I think also um, up until the past ooh, 12 months, I've seen very little material from interpreters on the difference that interpreters make. Um, and a lot of men who I've met want to be in a job where they feel they're having a really, really strong kind of manly impact. <laughs> Not all, but, but quite a few. Mm. And, and if you have this view of interpreting as we help people communicate and we help, we know, we say what the other person said, but in a different language. And there's no uh, discourse about the difference in the impact that interpreting makes and the money that interpreting makes and so on. Mm. There are certain people who would be put off if they don't think their work is making a tangible impact. And that's why I'm so glad to see the discourse around interpreting changing over the past year or so, where suddenly we're talking about, you know, how interpreters make money for companies, how interpreters save money for governments. You know, all of the tangible impacts interpreting has on the economy, suddenly we're realising we can talk about that stuff. Um, and I wonder if this in fuzzy enabling communication, bringing people together image of interpreting is maybe what has attracted more women to it than men. On that note, I think it's quite funny because obviously Alex is working in a very privileged position where I think he might actually change more than just, you know, the financial structure of a company or the financial benefits of a company. So I think, Alex, you're in a position where arguably you really do change outcomes of negotiations that affect the world. And I think I read in, I don't know if it was Rachel's article, but somewhere that more men are drawn to interpreting in institutional contexts. So I wonder what, what you think about that. How, how's, the, how's the ratio, you know, over there? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd like to believe that we don't change things, but that we interpret properly. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I think I know what you were getting at. No, but I, I was thinking of the the very few situations when there are, because usually there are three, three of us in the booth um, because we have bigger 
language regimes. So uh, usually when there is when there are three male interpreters in the same booth, that's kind of something to to be celebrated. <laughs> it just <laughs> happens very very infrequently. So it's certainly something that we note. Even the colleagues that have been around for a long time, they say, "Oh, this is interesting." Three three males in in one booth. So that's definitely noteworthy. And the other thing that I notice quite frequently actually is that the ratio between women and men seems to be different according to the language unit, i.e. the booth. So some booths are more male or more female than others. And uh, I, I don't know if I can say which ones exactly right now, but that's definitely a perception I have. I feel like the English booth has more men. At least when when I was looking for for to build my corpus from interpretation at the parliament, I had more difficulties finding men, a female for sorry for the English booth than for the other booth. Like from from Dutch into English, I had so many men, but couldn't find lots of women. No idea why though. So I guess that there might be a difference. Maybe Jonathan, but Jonathan, you say that you you are the only one. So well, I I, I do French. Um... So I, I don't know if that's a, a difference as well. I do wonder, just skimming through uh, Rachel's article, which I assume will go in the show notes, this idea that men are drawn towards professions where there's this kind of achievement and promotion, I wonder... See, this is the problem with the discussion, is that we actually don't know, and everything we do know is from self-report interviews, yeah. um, which are useful to a point but they're not what a researcher would call cross-sectional. They're also not longitudinal. So the ideal would be to get people while they're at university and do some kind of longitudinal study and say, you know, what what are you thinking of doing? And then follow them as they go through life. That's highly improbable to happen, but that would give us the answers that we look for. But I do wonder, part of me wonders, if we were to talk to children in secondary school, and talk to them about what kind of careers they're looking for. Not, you know, do you want to be a fireman or, not, or what, but try and get an idea of what's in their mind about what I look for in a career, then we might understand from that point what we're dealing with now. I'm not necessarily concerned about the future of interpreting, but it does intrigue me that I can go throughout my career and very rarely have a male colleague, even on the same job, never mind in the same booth. I've only had a male booth mate once. And funnily enough, I find it easier. I find it easier and more peaceful to have a female booth mate than a male one. I don't know why. Yeah, but maybe that's that's exactly the thing. Because one thing that is pretty characteristic of the profession is that we have very flat hierarchies. I mean, an interpreter is an interpreter is an interpreter, and maybe you get different kinds of clients as a freelancer, or you get to go to different levels of meetings as an institutional interpreter but i mean basically it's always the same work and maybe that doesn't work for people who like promotions and hierarchy and leading teams and that kind of stuff yeah but you know i actually have a problem with that assumption in that i don't like the idea that women don't like to be promoted as much as men like to be promoted there's something about that idea that i found find uh, very archaic, but I guess all of that is informed by, this is getting very philosophical, I guess, but, you know, all of this, I guess, is informed 
from society from a very early age. So I think if we were to interview um, students or pupils in, in secondary school, I'm sure there would be a difference in what girls and boys would answer simply because of the way that you, that they're raised. You know, girls might get a little kitchen when they grow up and, I don't know, the boys get a fire truck. So I think all of this starts at a very early age, but I still don't like that that line of argument that interpreting is a flat profession, there is no real way up, if you will. That's why men don't like it, but women are more attracted to it. I also had a real issue with... Um, in in Rachel's article, where uh, certain interviewees said that uh, one of the reasons why more women are in our profession is that interpreting involves an element of service, and women just are better at at serving. I thought that was incredibly sexist, and I know that obviously this isn't Rachel saying that. That was somebody giving the interview. Um, but that's why I also really agree with Jonathan. I'm not sure that these self reports or these these interviews give us much of an insight because it's always just a very limited perspective and people i guess it's kind of like an echo chamber so you ask a man what do you think about the uh, the, the profession oh you know it's very woman dominated well why do you think that is well maybe it's because i don't know it's a flat profession and it just kind of reinforces itself i agree with your point but in a way, and I, I mean, obviously, it comes from the way the males and females have been educated. And that's, I mean, I think we can all agree on that. And also, I mean, saying that men go into the, prof- I mean, don't go into the profession because they can't have promotion, as we said, doesn't mean that women don't like promotion. It might just be that it's not their priorities, that the, it's not something that they want to achieve. And also in the way that men and women are educated maybe and that I might it might be really sexist but that's also the true I mean we, we do live in this world so that maybe women don't feel like they can compete when there is promotion involved and being in a profession where they don't have to compete might be also give them more security in a way or they feel better in that sense and it might be true and also we say that usually in communication women do communicate to have somebody else's opinion while men communicate to be right. <laughs> yeah. Those, those are differences that exist. Yeah. Are, are you like a marriage guidance counselor? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was reminded of a few conversations I had with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> on the different communication stairs, you're, you're actually right. I've had more, um, heated discussions with men over certain aspects of interpreting than I have with women. And and that's a generalization. There are some women who are quite happy to just throw things at me. And, and I actually respect them for that. I think the interesting thing about interpreting is we have voluntarily, and I've, I was reading some articles on this, we've voluntarily given, um, I think someone in one of the other articles that were, are going to go in the show notes talked about the servile position of the interpreter. And let me get this very, very clear. That's not something that was something that was that is and always was a construct. And you don't really find anything about that until the professionalization of interpreting in the fifties and sixties. 
Um, on the other hand, if you read some of the accounts of interpreting before then, I'm talking even before the 1910s, if you go back to ancient Egypt and interpreting there, I'm translating an article at the moment where they, um, in some societies they deliberately only let men interpret because they saw it as a position of responsibility and leadership. And on that note, I actually think that that's, that partially still holds true today, and I believe that that's why... Um, Sometimes men also might find more success in interpreting than women because in certain situations, and I know for a fact that I've profited of this, clients will ask specifically for a man to do whatever job. So um, I have a press conference coming up. The client specifically said the CEO, the CFO, the COO will only be interpreted by two men. So there's actually a three-person booth with a female colleague and Two men are going to do the press conference, and right after the press conference, the female colleague is finally allowed to take the microphone. So those are very, in a way, sexist things, but those are simply the reality. If you're working for an automotive manufacturer, chances are they're going to want to have the voice that goes out into the world to be a man, and the voice that is only heard by, let's say, the executive board, that can also be a woman, because that's not going out into the world. And I know that I've profited from that, because I'm a man, obviously, even though, you know, we might need to discuss what Camille was saying, that she only heard that the three troublesome terps are men. I can, I can af- confirm that. <laughs> oh, hold on a minute. Do you want to go any further than that one, Alex? No, but th- th- there is an interesting point there, and this is where I want to get to Camille's research as well, in that I think it was um, a couple of people have mentioned in research and in practical articles this really strange, I think it's called a useful fic- fiction, someone called it. can't remember who called it a useful fiction. That if you get, say, a male speaker and you're hearing a female interpreter, that the audience are supposed to take that as the same voice. And the same if the gender is reversed. So if you have a female speaker and a male interpreter, the audience are not supposed to skin a beat in this mismatch, if you like. And I find that interesting that as a profession, we've never even thought about, mm, is, is that an issue? If, that, if that's an issue, is there something we can do about it? And on the other hand, we've never questioned... Um, how much of, of our own views of our profession may be helping to build that or maybe not. And the thing that we take granted in inter- interpreting, that when you start peeling away the layers, you go, when did we uh, start forcing clients to assume that whatever gender they hear through the microphone, just assume that's the speaker and, and don't think any thoughts about whether the person's gender is changed, you know, the interpret, you know, we don't want you to think about that. Just assume it's all the same. Well, can we ask them to do that, really? There are some media outlets, I think, who pay attention and try to match the gender um, between the interpreter and the the speaker or the person on the you know TV show, or whatever. But the, I think that's an exception. And that, that might happen also in courts, for example, where if you have, for example, a deaf uh, person in a tribunal, you would. Actually, this person being handicapped has, I don't know how to say, but a powerless uh, status. And if you add to that a female interpreter, also considered as a powerless figure, that you might actually that might actually be an issue. 
for the person that the interpreter works for, that it might be a double powerless status and that you might actually prefer to have a man there to kind of balance out the status. That's something that is often also considered in court interpreting. Where, because, I mean, of course, when you're in the booth, your gender is not as apparent as when you do liaison or whispering interpreting. Mm. So that's, I think that's much more an issue in liaison interpreting and in healthcare or in in court interpreting where the status of the person might be, might actually have an influence on the outcome. And to come back to what Jonathan was saying about the fact that when the clients listen to you and hear a female voice while the speaker is fem- is male, it's not only about the voice, but it's mostly about are the interpreters actually aware of how much of their gender they put in the way they speak? Because there are many, many differences in the way men and women speak, but are we even aware of that? That's also a question which I don't think that in interpreting school, at least, we actually teach people, okay, because you're you're a female, you do actually speak in that way, so be careful when you interpret a man not to do, to speak in that way, or the contrary. Well, we know that there are differences in the way we speak. So can can you give us an example? I mean, is are we talking about things like vocal fry, for example, where women talk in a lower voice to seem more convincing, that kind of thing? Uh, there, there is a there is a difference in in pitch, indeed, but that's not the, the biggest difference. There are two big differences in the way that men and women speak in spontaneous language. We don't know yet exactly whether this is true for interpreting because there's not that many research on sex differences in interpreting. But there, are, there, are, there were a few research. As I was saying, I have a colleague at the uh, University of Ghent uh, who focuses on the differences in the way. Uh, men and women speak and for example there is one that concerns what we call hedges so it's the um, the fact of mitigating uh, uh, something that has been said for example by adding uh, phrases like um, maybe or perhaps or I think I believe or sort of or even you know for example those are all things that we add if you want to to lessen the impact of something that we say. And there there is a difference there between men and women where women actually tend to add more hedges. So they tend to actually mitigate what the speaker is saying. And indeed, some this colleague did a research on interpreting and hedges at the European Parliament as well and noticed that women do indeed, even in interpreting, add much more hedges than uh, oh. men interpreters. So that might also, of course, have an impact on the message. Sure. So that's something else. And the other thing is when we talk about politeness. Um, Politeness in the way, I don't know if you've heard about this uh, face-threatening act, for example. So there is, in politeness, there is a whole concept of face. It's the Chinese concept that we know uh, have adopted where we... When you communicate, you're trying to protect your face, and you or you can attack the other pe- person's face. And we've seen that there are also differences in the way men and women uh, talk. That um, women are much more polite, so they're much more trying to preserve their face, but also the face of the other people, while men tend to be less polite. And there are differences as, as well in interpreting in that way. 
So we see that the, really the way we speak is actually different, even in interpreting. And there was not only my colleague, but also uh, another researcher, Mason, uh, who did uh, the same research, but for a court interpreting. And indeed, he also found a lot of differences in politeness, in the way men and women handle politeness. And also, for example, uh, women tend to omit uh, markers that would indicate differences. Difference, for example, um, saying sir, for example, when talking to someone, they tend to uh, omit markers of hierarchy, for example. So, and to promote intimacy in a way. So there are indeed differences in the way we speak, and uh, I don't think we really are aware of that because that's that even if 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 it appears even when we're interpreting, it probably means that we're not aware of that. That's really interesting. Because when we think about it, the fact of adding hedges is actually not really efficient in interpreting because it, it takes time and it's changed the message. So we can't say that it's something interpreters do as a strategy, for example, because it, it's not adding anything. And this concludes part one of this episode of the Troublesome Terps podcast, a conversation about gender difference in interpreting. Make sure you tune in for the second part of our conversation with Camille Collard, where we'll take a closer look at her research. Meanwhile, you can find us at troubleterps.com and on Twitter at troubleterps. Remember to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss any future episode. Bye. All I do is produce great stuff. That's what I do. <laughs> I have it on tape, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs>